truths I hope you'll take away. First of all, we're all outsiders. Secondly, that making outsiders insiders is the heart of our God. Third, if you know the way, then go outside and lead people inside. And lastly, that making outsiders requires sacrifice, but results in great joy. Can you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for your love and grace in our lives. That while we were yet sinners, you died for us. That you made a way for us to come back into your family, into your blessings. We just pray this morning that you would put that same desire to go and seek that which is lost in our hearts and that you would send us out to reconcile the world to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question is, who, who are these outsiders and how did they end up outside? And... I was supposed to, oh, dismiss the kids. No one heard me before? Okay. Uh, The kids may be dismissed. Okay. (laughs) All right. How do we get that straightened out? All right, to start, so we have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the beginning. And... Why do this? The reason to do this is because in order to understand the good news of Jesus Christ, you have to understand the bad news. God created a paradise on earth, the Garden of Eden, and in it he placed a man and a woman, the first man and woman, Adam and his wife Eve. And there are, of course, many more things we'd like to know in detail about this garden. What's its GPS location? It has to have one, right? You ever think about that? And about this famous couple. But the story as recounted in Genesis is what we have. So what do we know about Adam and Eve and their lives? Well, we know... God created them perfect, his children, in his image, and he created a perfect environment for them to live and work in. And everything about the creation, God said, was good. Actually, there was one thing he said wasn't good, and that was that there were no women. He said it's not good for the man to be alone, so he made Eve for for the man. But after that, all was good. And God was in intimate fellowship with them. Uh, He walked in the garden side by side with them and carried on face-to-face conversations with them. You might say Adam and Eve were the ultimate insiders. They were inside a paradise, inside the sphere of God's love and protection and inside and with inside knowledge of God himself. 
There was no shame. There was no guilt, no death, no fear. And only one simple rule, and that's found in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Well, Adam and Eve made a bad choice. And here in Genesis 3 is the account of that bad choice and the origin of outside. Because up until this point, there is only inside. And we can learn some things about spiritual warfare here as well. So let's read in Genesis 3, 1 through 13. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? The enemy is always going to test your knowledge of the word. So an encouragement, particularly for you young people in the faith. Read the word of God. Study it. Learn it. Memorize it. Quote it to yourself. Not so much to other people, okay? Let it take root in your mind and your heart. Know what God has said. And just as importantly, know what God has not said. So the enemy says, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman says to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. So how did Eve do here? Well, close, but no cookie. Because God never said anything about touching the tree, did he? So she didn't know the word there and that became an opportunity for the enemy, became a vulnerability. I mean, here's something to think about. This is just speculation, okay? So bear with me. But Eve believed that if you ate the fruit or touched the fruit, you would die. That's what she believed, even though that was wrong. She believed that. So maybe one day in her curiosity about this tree, she is walking around the tree, looking at it, kind of marveling. This is an amazing tree. And all of a sudden, squish, applesauce comes up between her toes. But what's just happened? She just touched the fruit. According to what she believes, she should be dead, right? But she's not. So the enemy, he's watching that. And he thinks, "Uh uh-huh, so I have an opportunity here. I can say, You touched the fruit and you didn't die and you believe that you should, even though that was wrong. So maybe you could eat the fruit and you wouldn't die. So just a little insight into the schemes of the enemy. He will take our lack of knowledge, lack of understanding of God's word and use it against us. So know God's word. So It says that when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. 
And when the eyes of both of them were open, they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to the man and said, where are you? And he answered and said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And then God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the next bit is very human. Adam blames his wife. (laughs) And even tries to shift a little blame on God. The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the blame shifting continues. The woman said, "Uh, the, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So their punishment was to be expelled from this perfect place that God had created from them and from intimate fellowship with God. And in Genesis 3.21, it says, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And I love this little detail because it illustrates a dilemma. And I'll talk more about it in a bit. God is a righteous judge. And God is a loving father. So, It says the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them because God is basically saying, I have to banish you. I have no choice. Even so, I love you, and I'm not sending you out wearing a couple of fig leaves, so let's get you some proper clothes. So God clothes them. And interestingly enough, you know, if you look into the future, into what happens as we are redeemed, as we're sanctified in Christ, God has also clothed us once again, made new clothes for us. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. Though Adam and Eve, who walked side by side in the garden in sweet fellowship, With God, the ultimate insiders now became the first outsiders. And it's important to understand this story because the fall is fundamentally what is wrong out there. It's us going our own way. It's us deciding that we can judge good from evil, that we know what is best. And God drove the man out and placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And nothing quite says you're an outsider now like a flaming sword. So a key point to understand here and one worth emphasizing is that God never intended anyone to be outside. It was Adam and Eve's choice to disobey that put them outside and what cut off their fellowship with God because they decided to determine for themselves good and evil to set up their own standard apart from God rather than allow such determinations to be resolved in an intimate relationship with God. 
By choosing to go their own way, they brought death to themselves, to the creation, and to the whole human race. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, In Adam we all died. We were all separated from God spiritually. And to be separated from God, our Creator, our Heavenly Father, spiritually, is truly death. It's the only death that really matters. So who are the outsiders? We all are. We're all outsiders. This is the bad news, okay? We'll talk about the good news in a minute. This is the bad news. And it's important to understand the bad news because we understand just how good the good news is. The good news starts with this, that God was not content to leave us outside because he loves us. God is not content to leave you outside because he loves you. God is not content to leave Bowling Green, Ohio, outside because he loves the people of Bowling Green. And he's not content to let anyone go their own way into sin and death. 2 Peter 3.9 says, God is patient with us, all of us, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But God has a problem. He had a problem in that, well, you might say, well, how can God possibly have a problem? He's God. If he just waves his hand, the problem goes away, right? Well, that's true, except in one particular case, and that is when the problem that exists is himself. And what I mean by that is God cannot be false to his own nature and his own character. And he is a righteous judge. And he will judge the world. He will judge it fairly. He will judge it without respect to person. Um, but he will judge it. But he is also a loving father. And he's merciful. And you see that, like in Adam and Eve. You know, he sends them out. He banishes them. But before they go, he goes, hey, come here, let me make these clothes for you. Um, so he has to judge truly, but he wants to be merciful. He can't go against the word that he has himself has spoken. So God, our merciful, loving Father, wants to rescue us from the fatality of our poor decisions and heal us from our own self-inflicted wounds and restore us to fellowship with him. So how can he do both? How can he exact judgment and deliver punishment and at the same time be merciful and offer forgiveness? There's a debt that's owed. There's a price for sin that has to be paid. How can this dilemma be resolved? God reminds us uh, through Isaiah that judgment is his strange work. It's his alien work. God is not by nature a banisher. God is a gatherer. There's a beautiful verse 
in Mark where he is speaking to Jerusalem. Jesus is speaking to Jerusalem, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. That's the heart of God. God is a gatherer. He's not a banisher. So God has a, has a problem, but he also has a plan. The plan is this, that he would take this separation upon himself, leaving heaven to come and dwell in our fallen world. He would take the judgment and punishment upon himself. His plan was that he so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Kyle in his message talked about proximity. You remember that? Talked about proximity about going to where the hurt is, about being alongside those who are suffering, about being there. And the incarnation is the ultimate proximity. Jesus came to be with us, to live with us. But not without cost. It cost God something precious, the sacrifice of his son, to show us mercy. Love requires sacrifice. Let's all say that together. Love requires sacrifice. Jesus, the Son of God, in perfect fellowship and oneness with the Father and the Holy Spirit in heaven, left his home, left his family to come and rescue us. I love the verse from the song that we sing. choked up when I think about it actually he didn't want heaven without us so he brought heaven down and when you ponder that verse consider how very very far down God had to bring heaven all the way down into the filth and the muck and the mire of an ugly world that we've been making since we decided we could figure this good and evil thing out by ourselves. God in the person of Jesus, though completely innocent, without sin, would allow himself to be reviled, rejected, tortured, and murdered on a cross in order to pay the price for the sins of Adam and for our sins and to rescue his lost creation, and return his children to himself. That's the good news. 1 Peter 2, 9-11 says, for those who have received this gift of salvation and forgiveness, that you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession." 
that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people outside. Now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. In Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, For at just the right time, while we were still powerless, while we were still outside, Jesus died for the ungodly. God proves his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still outside, God died for us. In Ephesians 2.13, Now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far away, outside, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the Old Covenant, people would come to the temple to worship God, but they had to remain outside. Only the high priest, once a year, on the Day of Atonement, would enter inside the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was kept behind a floor-to-ceiling curtain, and that's where God's glory would manifest itself. Only the high priest would enter, and he did so with a rope wrapped around himself. Did you know this? He had a rope wrapped around his waist. And the reason was, if he was in there, in the presence of the glory of God, and he messed up in some way, and God struck him down, the other priests couldn't go in and get him because they weren't allowed in there. No one was allowed in there except the high priest. So the rope was there to drag the body out. So that's a pretty vivid picture of the separation between inside and outside, isn't it? I mean, the the Holy of Holies was inside. That was where the presence of God was. No one was allowed in there. But an interesting thing happened when Jesus died on the cross. The Gospel of Mark recounts, says Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. And the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That curtain that separated the outside from the inside was ripped from top to bottom. It happened at the very moment that Jesus died on the cross. And Hebrews 6.19 explains the meaning of this. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and steadfast. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where Jesus, our forerunner, has entered on our behalf. Jesus has taken us back inside. Now, if you've received the gift of forgiveness offered by the Father through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, then you know the way back. You know how God intends to return his children from outside to inside. And knowing this, you're now called to work alongside God to see this plan fulfilled. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, it says, If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone and the new is here. 
All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Because that's exactly what he's doing. He's making an appeal through you who know Jesus to everyone who does not know him to receive his mercy and forgiveness, to return from banishment outside and to be embraced inside the family of God. He's making that appeal through each one of us, through each of us. At some point in our lives, we've all been outsiders in one way or another. And we know what it means to be outside looking in, to be lonely, to have little hope. That's who God is sending us to. He's sending us to those people who feel outside, who feel outside looking in. And there's a whole city of them behind me. God is making an appeal through you to them. It's up to us to show people the path that leads from outside to inside. From being alone in the dark to walking in the light of his loving community. And that path goes through the cross and only through the cross. Only the cross could remove that flaming sword. Only the cross could make a way back. So I just really want to encourage all of us. It takes, remember, love requires sacrifice. The sacrifice that it requires of us is very often just the inconvenience of getting out of our comfort zone and reaching out to maybe someone we don't know or someone who isn't like us or someone who doesn't um, like the same things as us or are in the same circle as us. We have to get outside our comfort level. We have to get outside where it costs us something. It costs Jesus something, right? It costs something for him to rescue us. It will cost you, it will cost us something to go and rescue Bowling Green and to appeal to them uh, on God's behalf. And I just pray that God would give us the love in our hearts and the grace to do so. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you were not content to leave us to ourselves, both as a a race, but also each of us individually. You were not content to leave us outside, to leave us alone, but that you came for us. You came to rescue us. And Lord, we're getting ready to celebrate Christmas, where we celebrate the incarnation, the birth of Jesus, 
um, the beginning of that rescue. And Father, I just pray you would put the same heart in us to go and to see others rescued in your name, to, to allow you to appeal to them through us. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me? I'd like to encourage you to uh, take communion during these next few songs as we sing together. Uh, communion is something that we do here every week to remember and to celebrate that cross. That cross that uh, brings us from the outside to the inside. So as we sing these next few songs, there's a there's a cup and there's bread on each side of the stage. Whenever you feel ready to make your way up to the front, dip the bread in the juice.